Just before we jump into today's episode of Skip Intro, we just wanted to give a quick content warning. A couple of the shows that we discussed today cover some fairly heavy topics and have some relatively sensitive material. So just a heads up before we get into the conversation. Hi, and welcome to Skip Intro, the podcast from Binge, all about the world's best television. Each week, we're here to discuss some of the biggest new shows on Binge, along with a couple of our own recommendations. My name is John Boehm, here with Ali Herbert-Burns, and together we look after all the great TV and movies that you see on Binge. But Ali, for those new to the podcast, what what does that mean? Well, John, every time I sit down and turn Binge on and I look at the carousels or what's uh, the major thing that is in what we call the home carousel at the very top, I go... Ah, what does John want me to watch today? Or what does John think is the most important thing that we should see? And I love when you sneak in a few things that might not be brand new um, or the things people are talking about. But I know you're putting a bit of a John touch on that because whilst we do have algorithms and lots of different ways that influence the content and what you're seeing, there's also a human curation and you lead a team of individuals in Sydney um, that do that work. Uh, You also have great taste and interest in, in in great television. We've obviously worked together for years. Um, not obviously, people at home might not know. We've worked together for many years across various companies in Australia. Stan, uh, then you went to SBS, I went to Nine, and we end up here together working at Binge. Of the many thousands of shows and movies on Binge and the, the hundreds of new episodes and series that, that drop every week, we're doing things a little bit differently this week because we are talking about two series that are not in English. Language other than English, they yes. are <laughs> foreign TV series, as others might uh, might call them. But um, things that you need to be, unless you're wonderfully um, educated and speak multiple languages, you will need your subtitles on to follow along at home, or or the dubbing if that's your preference. Um, at at times, dubbing is also available. But uh, specifically, the two series we're going to talk about today, Ali, we're talking about a Swedish drama called Bear Town. And we're talking about a Danish, we're going, we're going Scandi in our approach today, a Danish drama called Kamikaze, both from HBO Europe. And then later on in the podcast, our weekly dinner party recommendations, the shows on binge that, or movies that we love, we want to tell you about little hidden gems or favorites that we think you should discover. And just before we get started, for regular listeners of the pod, Ali, got a little throat cough situation happening? Yes, apologies. I'm a little bit croaky today and... I might have a spontaneous cough as, as we chat, just recovering from COVID this week as I bunker down in Sydney. May your symptoms be mild and thank you to the wonderful technology that lets us do this remotely. Um, but let's jump into the first show, Bear Town. Emma. From a family dealing with the loss of a child, a town dealing with economic downturn, suspicious neighbours, angsty teens, life in the shadow of former athletic glory, racial tensions and small town homophobia are just some of the threads running through this excellent series. At its core, however, is the aftermath of a rape and the tight-knit community's reaction. As Ali mentioned, Beartown is a Swedish language drama and it is set in the very snowy, very cold, small town. Ali, watching this gave me more than a few uh, memories of Town. It's definitely an iconic example of Nordic noir, would you say? 
I think so. I think there's a few things there. There's this element of Mayor of Easttown because you have a small town, you have a crime, you have a, a police person or or a town that's so close-knit and small that when something happens in the town, the way it really splinters and ripples throughout the town. So I can definitely see that Mayor of Easttown element. There's also um, the age and the school element uh, as, as it comes up in Mayor of Easttown as well. For those of, of you that aren't familiar with Mayor of Easttown, a, a, an American crime series starring Kate Winslet, um, which is also on Binge. The Nordic noir element is very much here as well. I don't know what it is about the Swedes and the Danes. and <laughs> They have a really good track history in producing this type of crime and I wonder what it is about their culture or their settings that adds to the mystery and intensity of these types of shows because certainly when you watch Bear Town, the mountains, the snowy setting, the cold heightens what's at stake. There's a really cool opening scene as well, people running through the snowy mountains and the series ends back there, um, not to give any spoilers, but it, it kind of really adds to the, the thriller element, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it's worth noting that while this does, in a really good way, tick a lot of boxes of those iconic Nordic noir moments of what you would expect, you know, small town, mystery, tight-knit communities, like icy cold backdrops. I do think it's worth noting this series covers a lot of really interesting territory, which I don't think is always covered in your average murder body found on a lake kind of thing. Even within the first few episodes of this, you are kind of being led down this story that you're not really sure what's happening or you know that a rifle's been shot. Um, you know that there's a lot of tension between families, but it's not like it's, I think it's definitely sort of more sophisticated than just, oh, you know, body found on the side of the road, some detectives turn up in town. There's a lot more thematically and storyline-wise happening in this series. It's a good point. The crime, I don't think I'm giving it away by saying it's a rape that is the crime, not a murder. So the investigation element is a smaller part of the story. It's not about the cops, which is probably a key point of difference with Mary of Easttown. It's very much about the people affected by the alleged crime, isn't it? Which is where it does broaden from the genre, but also go into some territory that we've seen in other series as well. Yeah, it really sets up that there are some new and old faces in the town. There are some people that have come back to the town. There's obviously a lot of history, which you, you know, imagine any small town would have. Have. It's also worth noting the whole town is obviously sort of wrapped up in its hockey team. So a lot of this story is told through the lens of um, the coaches and the families and the um, players and sort of everything that unravels from that. And, you know, the, the allegiances that one family has to the hockey team and another family has to, you know, the victim of the crime. And yeah, it covers a lot of really interesting territory. It also does it in a relatively short period of time. This is only five episodes. So it really is a it's a good weekend watch. I did find it interesting just in doing a little research on this. This show actually started out life originally as a, as a TV project, as you'd imagine, uh, but then couldn't kind of find its way to the screen. So it was then turned into a novel, which was released and very successful. And the success of the novel then led it to be turned finally into a, into a TV series. So that's not normally the way it happens, is it? It starts with a book and then it finds its way to the screen. Yeah, how interesting. But I think that also speaks to, you know, people always talk about these Nordic noirs and especially, you know, especially such iconic things like the killing and Borgen and stuff as being, you know, like you're watching novels that you're watching these sort of very complicated, multi-layered stories that are playing out over hours and hours. And um, I think you can kind of tell that in this as well. But to that point, it's also a relatively concise story in that it is only those, those five episodes. Like watching a novel is a really good point or watching a you know, slightly longer film. I felt like this one as well. Like you said, five just under one hour episodes, very bingeable. Uh, we did it over two sittings. I think one thing I liked about this, and you mentioned it earlier about with the hockey, often there's, um, and this is an ongoing case of it happens in life, we see it in the news, 
Um, we see it in professional sports in Australia and around the world. But it's this sense of how do celebrities and sports stars and sports star celebrities especially get treated differently? Either they're kind of wrapped in cotton wool or they're treated with different kind of level of judgment than others in society might be. They're protected by clubs or stakeholders or of people um, that can benefit a lot from that individual or from the club that they play for. What I thought was really interesting about Bear Tion is it takes that very similar approach and it says if someone's a you know acclaimed sports star or has something to add beyond an average person but it's not they're not professional sports stars they are still just you know sports stars in a school setting so it kind of takes a bit of the look of the way sport and business and and loyalty and fandom impact people but it's really interesting that it's it's just high, it's school hockey you know it's not even at that next level of um professional sport yeah it does it, it it's quite a universal story because obviously you know you could tell this same story about pr- professional football players or or whatever who are you know international celebrities but i think it also speaks to how small and tight this community is that you know these high school hockey players are their town's biggest celebrities everyone knows them they're getting pat- pats on the back when they win win the match yeah i think it's a really interesting microcosm of what happens in a small community a small isolated community when there isn't that much more going on partially just because of how cold it is and and what behavior therefore gets excused because what it puts at risk and it's so hard for people to see through or see the situation clearly because yeah they're so compromised and, and conflicted by kind of the halo impact of the talent and the and the sports star rather than you know the humanity of the people that are involved I think this is also interesting because it is got a school setting not that it is a school age um, show it's it's a very interesting broad drama that I think a lot of people a lot of our viewers and listeners will enjoy but the the, the fact that you've got this social element as well. So they're at a, the, kid, the kids are at a party. I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, there's social media involved, there's videos. So there's a lot of online keyboard warriors. There's a lot of people that have opinions who might not have actually been present, but because of the way the internet works, the way that also impacts, because you've got a very small, tight-knit town, but then you've got the kind of public shaming of, of the internet coming into it as well. So it does bring in lots of different things, doesn't it, that we've talked about before? Yeah, I would say if you enjoyed any level of Mayor of Easttown, I would, I would check this out. And I would also say, similarly, if you liked Friday Night Lights and you also liked Friday Night Lights not so much for the football, <laughs> I would also suggest that you check out Beartown because, again, it's that small town thing of the sports team being the biggest thing in town and the pressure that it puts on the kids and the kids and the coach and the school life and what they get away with or don't get away with. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of really really interesting stuff covered in this and it's just done excellently by by the Swedes as as we know they can do and then on top of all this is just this amazing backdrop of this icy snowy isolated bear town where, where it all takes place so yeah it ticks all the Nordic Noir boxes and and some more so yeah I can't I can't recommend this highly enough. I'm with you John I think this show deserves a broad audience I'm looking forward to you popping it up in the carousel maybe on a Friday evening so people can discover it on a weekend because it is a um it's a very good show HBO Max's first Danish language original, Kamikaze, follows Julie, an 18-year-old whose life spirals out of control following the death of her family in a plane crash. 
determined to end her own life in the same way that her family passed. And with her inheritance to assist, Julie begins to fly the globe, hoping for the worst. There is a before and Der var et før, hvor jeg tænkte på tiden som noget, der bragte mig nærmere, hvad jeg nu end så frem imod. Han er jo så pæn. Don't be across Men skal jeg, jeg vil egentlig også godt fortælle, at vi, vi tager videre i dag. Jeg Ali, um, there's a reason that we have some warning boards up at the start of these episodes. This is a very interesting show for a lot, lot of reasons. This show is so interesting, John. I'm, I've watched all eight episodes of Kamikaze and I highly recommend it for our, our listeners, but I would like to caveat this by saying um, it is effectively a study in grief and the impact of a major trauma on your life and it, it will be triggering, I think, for a lot of people. It's also if you've got a history in your family of an accident, uh, especially a plane accident, I don't suggest you watch it. Not that it's overly graphic in that regard, but I just think it would be... Um, very close to home for some people. Yeah, and equally, you know, if suicide or the topic of suicide is not something you want to watch eight episodes of television about, then I would recommend not watching this. If that's not a barrier for you, then this is a really interesting show that explores trauma, grief, and does it through the lens of this woman's quest to kill herself, which again, it's just, it's even an odd thing to say out loud. And it's a bit hard to explain even the tone of the show because it's a very dark show but it's also got light moments and is sort of light-hearted and funny in its tone at times as well would you say killing evish in that regard like it's dealing with heavy stuff that can be quite scary but it's done in a very light and brightly shot very european way like it's not gloomy Killing Eve is a good reference. The other one that sort of came to mind to me is Search Party because mm. it, it, it is, you know, this main character, Julie, is 18. So it's, it is this very young perspective. She suddenly has all this money um, and then she kind of decides to jet set around the world. So, there, you know, there are episodes in Korea and there are episodes in Africa where she's just, you know, booking whatever flight she can and, you know, having moments where she sort of inhabits new personas just to try to, you know, obviously escape the sort of grief and trauma she's going through. Mm. She almost takes on an alter character, doesn't she, in, in some episodes to kind of disassociate herself. She's so numb. She's literally the personification of someone that's numb with jet lag or doesn't know what time zone they're in. They're almost floating outside of the normal world. There are just so many metaphors in the show, I think, and how they've done it. But she's almost floating between living and non-living and you see this perspective of the world from the plane where you're not connected to yeah. anybody. And there are a few moments in this that just make my heart just tang. One is, you know, when you get off a plane and they're like, if your phone's within reach, you can turn it on. Everyone like jumps on their phones and you know, oh, what have I missed in the world? And, you know, whenever she turns her phone on, there's not really anyone, no matter how many notifications to flash over a phone, she realises that there's actually nobody in the world that she needs to be in touch with. She could be stuck up in a plane forever flying around because effectively her whole world back home is gone. I just kept, the whole time I kept watching this, I kept thinking to lose your family at 18 and your entire family, they're a close-knit family, and be adrift at sea almost. You haven't started a career yet. You haven't gone to college. You've just finished high school. Your friends are all at this celebratory coming-of-age stage of life and she's ankleless in where she goes next, which is you can understand why she so quickly gets caught up in, in becoming disconnected. But the ending is unexpected in what her conclusion is and what happens. 
and yeah it's done in such a polished international way and the way you mentioned they go to Korea and these other countries I just kept thinking oh to travel to, to when did they shoot this I kept thinking how did they shoot this during COVID they're in Morocco they're in Africa they're in Mexico they're in Korea they're in they're in Denmark they're in London it takes you around the world and there are and like I said the way it's shot it's bright and light and it's not gloomy even though the subject matter is heavy in what it teaches you but it's got quite a lesson at the end of it if if you can stick with it it deserves you to stay with it because the performances are so outstanding yeah and it's got a couple of interesting sort of like tonal shifts there there's animated sequences there's stop motion sequences where she's either you know reflecting on a moment or thinking about a moment and it turns into this sort of little animated dream sequence almost mm. um but yeah i think the, the word you use with polish like it's such a polished show like um and bright and like i've honestly not encountered a show that has such a strong premise that you have like you don't know how to react to. Mm. <laughs> Obviously, you like you're with her in this grief, but then her reaction is obviously, you know, it's an understandable one, but her reaction is so extreme. And because she has the money to kind of do it, it's just, yeah, you just don't know where the story's going. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I just found this so interesting. And yeah, eight half hours, it's, it's a very quick series to get through. But um, yes, so, some of the episodes feel really long and yeah. some of them feel really quick and um sometimes not a lot even happens in the episodes you know there's episodes where it's just like her in a hotel and I haven't fact checked this John but I feel like she's on screen 98% of every yeah there's almost no other there's almost no other characters really there's some you know she obviously encounters incidental people and there's flashbacks to her family and her friends but yeah, even just structurally, it's interesting to have a show that is so much about one person doing this specific mm. thing. And look, um, I, it's one of those things where it's like, why is it why is it depressing? Why do you have to go into such a deep place to understand a person's journey? But I feel like you do. And the thing at the end, the lesson, I suppose, is even when you've got nothing to live for, you can find a way to keep going. And it's a choice and sometimes, you know, it's too much for people and, 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 they, and they can't keep going. But the way you have to follow her through that arc to get to that decision point of do I want to keep going, I think it's a brilliant, brilliant, dramatic piece of work that looks at a very difficult subject matter. But I think and, and anyone that suffered, you know, gut-wrenching, life-changing grief will, um, will see a lot. Of, of themselves or of their experiences potentially in this show, not to the extreme of what she does, but just in terms of that, that sense of how do I go on? Yeah, it's just, it's such a, such a unique series about a topic that would be dealt with so differently and has obviously, obviously has been dealt with many times, but yeah, it's just dealt with so u- uniquely. Yeah, it's, it's hard to describe. And I think, I think we just need people to watch it. <laughs> we do, don't we? And I just, I don't want to give too much away. Um, I just think Killing Eve, Lost in Translation, Grief, Lost, I don't know, like <laughs> there's lots of different shows mushed in here, but there's an element, there's even a bit of like, the, I felt a bit about the flight attendant, the way that series last year took you around the world and that kind of glossy side of travel. Travel, but, international yeah, travel, yeah. yeah. Um, but then it's just such a deep and gut-wrenching subplot to it all. And it's just, as you said before, it's so unique. I haven't done justice to try and find a a comparison show. The lead actress in the series, um, an actress called Mari Ruther, 
but I, I'm not familiar with her and anything else. I know she's a little bit older than the character that she plays, but like I said, she's nearly on screen the whole way through this series and absolute standout. I don't know if there's one director the whole way through either, but the way it's shot in the cinematography as well is like um, the most polished film or series that you'll see from anywhere around the world. Yeah, and she really transforms herself. And again, it's not a giveaway, but there's kind of almost before and after flashbacks and flash forwards where she's almost unrecognizable in the transformation she makes. I guess, once again, we're just highly recommending that you um, check out Kamikaze. Like we said, it's only eight, eight half hours. So it's a relatively quick watch. Again, just with that caveat that obviously it covers some, some really heavy material, which understandably won't be for everyone. But if it is, I think it's a, it's a very rewarding series. I've just read here that she's been nominated for the Danish Film Academy for the best female lead in a TV series and that Kamikaze is nominated for the best TV series as well. John, we're up to the part of the podcast where we give our dinner party recommendations, the things if we were at a dinner party, talking to friends or colleagues or anyone we're having dinner with, what is great to watch on binge or a little hidden gem or a favourite or something that is worthy in your opinion of some discussion and further attention. I've lost my um, sense of smell and sense of taste with COVID at the moment, so ain't no dinner party fun for me. However, if we were at a dinner party or we were catching up for a coffee and I said, what should I watch? Tell me what your recommendation is, please, this week. Uh, well, Ali, I know we have both watched this because we have discussed this, not at a dinner party, but probably over Slack or something. <laughs> but the thing that I would love more people to watch because it is a very compelling sort of 90 minutes of television and is not scripted, so it's something a little different for today's episode, is 15 Minutes of Shame. Hey, bud. Just want to give you a heads up and warn you that your behavior is probably going to end in someone killing you and your wife and child. You are scum. I never heard that term, cancel culture. Doxing. Cyberbullying. Social media shaming. Until after I've been canceled. Imagine waking up with the whole world talking about you. Everything was just lit up. Because your mistake, your secret, has now been made public. Trust me, I know a little something about this. I was patient zero of having a reputation destroyed because of the internet. So this is produced by Monica Lewinsky and Max Joseph, who is behind Catfish. And basically it is just a, it's a one-off 90 minute sort of feature documentary about the concept of public shaming, cancel culture, like consequence culture, whatever you want to call it, particularly in the new digital world. But also what I found fascinating is the documentary goes back to like the 1200s and talks about the very long history of like the mob and the idea that, you know, we've been cancelling people for, you know, centuries now for various things. We just used to do it in like the town square with like a lynching mob as opposed to an internet keyboard mob, yeah? Yes, there'd literally be a mob as opposed to just, you know, mean comments on TikTok. But I think what's so great about this show is it presents you with some well-known and some less well-known stories of people doing maybe stupid things online or in the real world and the explosion that came from that. But then what the documentary does beautifully is it actually sits down with these real people who turns out, you know, they are real people with lives and 
shows you how they got to that point in their lives. And it's really hard to pile onto someone once you've heard their story and once you understand how they got to where they got to, or just to have the slightest reframing of some of these stories just make you completely change your perspective on these things. And I think for so many of these things, we know about these things and we, did, we didn't even read the article or see the story. We just saw a headline or we saw a meme. You know so little about these things that people pile onto or that you hit a dislike button on or you just decide someone's a villain in your mind. Um, and this show does a really good example of sort of reframing that. Yeah, I must admit, sorry to interrupt you, John, I felt a bit guilty when I watched this because there were lots of examples that they gave of recent things, one of them being from early on in the COVID pandemic stages of this guy in America who bought all the hand sanitizer on Amazon or whatever and like and he always trades stuff on Amazon and he's probably a bit like a market trader or a finance trader. He looks at trends and adjusts his import and export business accordingly. But because it was hand sanitizer and it was such a, a difficult and critical time, he got completely shouted down, didn't he? But I, I, I felt guilty watching that because like, oh, yeah, I saw the headline, never clicked on it, never really understood it. But and it just shows you how quickly we can kind of not pile on or jump on the bandwagon, but we kind of participate in this just by the very nature of the way social media works a little bit. So I, I did feel we could all be a bit kinder after watching this. Yeah, and that's really the premise of the documentary is to just have a bit of empathy and to maybe read past the headline. And, of course, Monica Lewinsky adds a really interesting perspective. The scandal that her and Bill Clinton got wrapped up in was sort of pre-social media, but to think of how that kind of story would have played out with social media would be a very different story. And, of course, the the again, the very sad aspect of this is that people's lives can be at stake. It's a very crushing experience to have something like this happen to you. And obviously for people's mental health, it can, yeah, it can be a really dark thing. So I think it's a really important doco. I think it talks about something that you think you know about, but I think until you watch this and have a bit more of a think about it, you actually don't. And I think that's what a great documentary does, sort of makes you think about something differently. So yeah, 15 minutes of shame, highly recommend. It's a very quick and easy watch. It's excellent. Yeah, great. I have seen that one. And there's a little a nod or a little component in it about Australia and that we have some of the, whilst a lot of this shaming and stuff is online, it still affects the people in real life because they're real life people with real communities and families. But yeah, the, the, the talk about the fact that Australia has one of the more advanced online laws, I think, about um, the implications of bullying online. So yeah, it's a little Australian element to it as well. Uh, but Ali, what's, what have you been watching slash what should we be watching? Well, we've been talking about some foreign language shows today. So I'm actually going to give a recommendation for a series that is not completely in subtitles or um, foreign language, but it does jump in between English and Italian a little bit. Um, and it's a series we've got on binge called Devils. You know how proud I am of you. How hard you work. How much you sacrifice. You deserve your success. This is a 10-part drama series. It's based in the world of finance. So probably you might be familiar with Billions or some other shows like that that actually, or industry that place you inside kind of the banking world is, is the backdrop for the story. But the reason I like this show, it's, it's made by Sky Italia um, and Sky UK is kind of like a co-production. It stars Patrick Dempsey, who some of you might remember from Grey's Anatomy, and it's one of his first kind of major television roles in a long time. But 
It's based on a book and it's it kind of uses the 2008 European currency crisis and the great GFC and what was happening in the world in 2007, 2008 as a backdrop to tell a story and it flashes back to that period of time from it's, it's set in a fictional bank um, and they're not real life people but it does kind of place a historical event in the finance world as the backdrop so it's kind of got geopolitics it's showing you real news footage from the European Union at the time but it's set against effectively two lead characters that work together Italian guy Massimo and his boss uh, Patrick Dempsey his character Dominique very successful people come from very different backgrounds but both working together in the shark tank that is international finance but then there's murder corruption, greed, and a whole lot of other interesting stuff. And this one's actually getting a second series that's in production now, I think. So if you're also the kind of person that loves watching something, um, having a really good binge, but then knowing you can come back to that universe as well, this might be a good one for people for people to watch. But I liked it because it was drama, but I felt I learned a little bit. I like historical stuff as well or things that are set in the corporate world. So this ticked a few boxes for me. Have you watched Devils? No, I haven't actually. I'm, as we've mentioned previously on the podcast, I'm a big industry fan. So I like to, I like the idea that it's set in the, in a similar world, but no, I haven't checked this one out. Like you said, there is a second season coming maybe soonish. Do we have, we don't have a date yet, but. um, Yeah, I feel like I know the date, but I don't know the date. Like I, it, it feels like it's this year. I'm not sure when. Um, Yeah. It's, it's set in London. And so, you know, like you're in watching the big financial capital, but it's, it's actually shot, I think in, in Italy. Um, But again, when we're not traveling very easily, you kind of are watching, you know, this big city and you kind of transport it into that world. I don't know what's going on in your mind, but I'm not the enemy. Ali, thanks so much. Another great episode, another bunch of great recommendations. This week, of course, we discussed Beartown, Kamikaze, 15 Minutes of Shame, and Devils. All of these are streaming right now for you on Binge, um, which, of course, you can find on your favourite device. I'm John Boehm. Um, Ali, thanks thanks again for joining us, and um, hopefully you shake off the COVID blues very soon, um, although it's a great excuse to watch television, obviously. That it is, John. Thank heavens for streaming when you're stuck on the couch. <laughs> this podcast is produced by Dan Barrett with audio editing and mixing by Chris Yates, and we'll be back next week. 